Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero. We deserved with the hero. We need it. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Welcome in. Good Friday to you. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. I am your host as always. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Or you can give us a call, 615-737-1045 if you'd like to join us tonight. 737-1045. I've got some serious stuff to talk about. And I got, well, I guess serious business when it comes to the Music City and the NFL franchise here as we lead off talking about Titans Redskins tomorrow. Local coverage right here with the Lee Company countdown to kickoff begins on 104.5 The Zone at 1.30. Saturday afternoon football that matters in Nashville. So, is there going to be any kind of look-ahead-to-next-Sunday effect for the Tennessee Titans? Let's hope not. I've said before, I'll say again now, this team is not good enough to overlook anybody on its schedule, especially a Redskins team that, though they're drastically undermanned, they've still got a shot at the postseason. Tennessee's a double-digit favorite the last time I looked. They're playing at home, but we also saw that performance against the Jets a few weeks ago, so nothing is for sure. They won that game 26-22, to but really had no business doing so until they pulled something out in the fourth quarter. They're going to have to show up and play. This is a three-game win streak right now for the Tennessee Titans, and it's got to become five if the Titans hope to play in the postseason. And look, it's possible it's not going to matter because if Baltimore and Pittsburgh both went out, they're both in. But I don't think that's going to happen. The Ravens are in L.A. to play the Chargers, who've won 10 of 11, Maybe the hottest team in football right now. Maybe the best team in football when you look at all sides of the ball. And then the Steelers are playing against the Saints, who, look, New Orleans is not exactly lighting it up right now. Drew Brees hasn't passed for more than 208 yards in the past month. But there's still the Saints. It seems likely, at least to me, that one of these AFC North teams is probably going to lose this weekend. Which... Should Tennessee and Indianapolis both take care of business against the Redskins and the Giants, respectively, that means next week's matchup here in Nashville between the Titans and Colts, which could get flexed into Sunday night football, maybe will get flexed into Sunday night football, would be for that final playoff spot in the AFC. Unfortunately, due to the Miami loss, due to the loss in Buffalo in particular, plus that Ravens shutout loss, Tennessee does not control its own destiny. That ship has sailed. There's nothing that they can do about that at this point. You can't go back and and replay those games or change the results of those games. 
Those are losses that you're going to look at if this does not end up putting the Titans into the playoffs and say, well, that's the one that cost us. Mike Vrabel's football team only controls the two games they have left to play. They could win both, and they could still stay home because they are at the mercy of these other results. But if they go handle business against Washington, and they're sitting there at 9-6, and six, I do think there's a very good chance Pittsburgh or Baltimore takes an L in their matchups, despite leaving the door wide open to finally beat Andrew Luck in front of a huge home crowd and head back to the playoffs. We have not really seen much from Marcus Mariota since the Houston game, where he had those ridiculous percentages. He played out of his mind. The team still got drubbed in that game. He wasn't good against the Jets until the absolute moment he had to be. And then he was just good enough to get the job done. Against Jacksonville, he really wasn't even needed, but he still was out there to throw a bad interception early in that game before Derrick Henry went off for those 238 yards and four touchdowns. He also wasn't needed against the Giants, and he was facing the elements in that monsoon last week. And despite not throwing the football very much, he was still out there putting his body on the line to try and help his teammates, including, again, Derrick Henry to another big day, 170 yards. I still don't know what to make of Marcus Mariota. But I suspect that he's ready to have a huge day. He's due for another one of those performances that leads to the I told you so's in the positive direction in Titans talk back after the show and talking to us on Monday Night Titans. We were just waiting for another one of those days. Washington's defense has been suspect. Mariota is not probably going to be able to rely on another day like that from Henry. Maybe Henry's going to go out there and have another 170-plus yard day. But I feel like this one's going to require at least something from the quarterback spot. And I feel like Mariota is ready to deliver there. He's gotten more time to throw as of late due to Derrick Henry's success due to the offensive line giving him breathing room. The less he gets hit, especially with all the injuries and bruises he's taken in a few games this year, the better for the Titans and certainly for Mariota. That offensive line is going to need to be up to the challenge again. But if you look at the unit as a whole with Mariota, with his receivers, with the running back position, all of it, courtesy of the defense, the offense hasn't had to score that much to win these games. With the exception of a Jaguars touchdown that should have been overturned on review when that game was already decided on Thursday Night Football a couple weeks ago, the Titans have not given up an offensive touchdown since they left Houston. Not in their past three games. They've been absolutely tremendous. This unit is tied with the Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos for the fewest fourth-quarter touchdowns allowed this season. Only five. They're also tied with Denver for fewest points allowed in the fourth since their bye week with just 14 points surrendered in the fourth quarter since returning from London. Against the rush, the Titans struggled early in the year, and then they got things under control in the middle frame. They had that one outlier against Lamar Miller. That 97-yarder certainly did not hurt his numbers, of course. They did not handle the Jets all that well. Isaiah Crowell, in particular, ran very effectively against the Titans in that game. But in the past two games, they played against two backs that you should fear, that a lot of fans do fear 
Leonard Fournette, 14 carries, 36 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. And then this past week, five days ago, Saquon Barkley, who entered the game third in the league in rushing as a rookie, has four 50-plus yard rushing touchdowns in 13 games. He's the only back, with the exception of Derrick Henry, to do that. And Derrick Henry, it's taken him three years to total that. This is from 2016 to 2018. Henry and Barkley are the only two guys with four 50-plus yard touchdowns on the ground. It took Henry cumulatively three seasons. Barkley's done it in less than one. But in that game, Saquon Barkley, 14 carries, 31 yards, 2.2 yards a carry. And all the damage that he does as a receiver, he wasn't able to do in this game at all. Barkley was bottled up by this Tennessee Titans defense. Now in comes Adrian Peterson. And then, finally, the now red-hot Marlon Mack in Indianapolis to finish off the season. The offensive line in Indy really playing well. They have done a great job drafting. Chris Ballard's done an awesome job since replacing Ryan Grigson, who was pretty much terrible as he tried to build this Colts franchise. Handling the run and getting to these quarterbacks, creating pressure and making sure that they're uncomfortable, those are going to be your keys. And it begins tomorrow against the Redskins. Incidentally, by the way, back to the run with one thing. Lamar Miller is the only back to gain 100 yards against the Titans in 2018. They've played against three guys who have over 900 yards on the season, two with over 1150. Lamar Miller in that crazy situation down in Houston where he had the 97-yarder after the Luke Stocker failure. He's the only guy to go over 100 this season against the Titans. Eight and six. That's nice. Ten and six would be a great finish that takes advantage of a weak end to the schedule. Takes advantage of playing four of your last six games at home. Honestly, that's what should be expected of an NFL team, especially one on the precipice of the playoffs. Indianapolis might be the hottest team in the league, maybe one of three if you want to throw in. I'd say the Chargers are probably the hottest team in the league. The Bears are probably right there. And then I think the Colts are certainly in that discussion. Dallas was in that discussion until they got throttled by that aforementioned Colts team, 23 to nothing. If they win that game, meaning the Titans, they'll have earned every bit of that playoff spot. If they go and they play down to this competition tomorrow, which this team has shown a tendency to do in Buffalo, and I would even say against Miami, Miami's still got the slimmest of hopes to potentially make the playoffs. But that's a game that there was a lot of odd things happening in that game. There really was. There were injuries and there was the long delays and all that. It's the Buffalo game you really point to and the performance against the Jets, even though they won the game. But if they go and they no-show tomorrow against the Redskins, they've got no business doing anything but sitting around waiting for the NFL draft after fielding question after question for months about bad losses and no-shows. Because that's what's coming from all of us if they go lay an egg tomorrow. No excuse for it whatsoever. To the little things, turnovers, you simply can't have them. you got to be clean. Tennessee is one of the least penalized teams in the entire NFL. That's something that's going to have to keep up. They've got to play discipline tomorrow, not get caught up in the emotion, just go win the football game. And then there is your special teams. Can the Titans get anything 
from the return game at all to shorten the fields. The defense may shorten the fields anyway in terms of just keeping the Redskins from being able to move the ball at all. But if you can get anything from the return game, it's such a benefit. You've got Ryan Suckup. He's missed a couple of field goals. He missed one against the Giants. But in that weather, I don't think you'd knock him. I think you'd want to have Suckup more than most kickers in the league. Brett Kern is as good as it gets from the punting spot. We know that full well. We've seen it long enough. We've seen this movie before. Brett Kern's going to be there for you. All you got to do is make sure you don't cough up the football and you protect these kickers. Just don't go out there and get anything blocked. It's the little things that are the difference between a W and an L this time of year. Good football teams. You always talk about how good football teams generally breaks are always going their way. You know, Duke gets a lot of breaks. The Patriots get a lot of breaks. The Warriors get a lot of breaks. The Steelers get a lot of breaks. Really and truly, though, good football teams don't sit around waiting for breaks to go their way. Good football teams simply ensure there are no breaks to wait for when they control their own situation, meaning they are not the one that's going to make the mistake. They're going to wait for you to make a mistake while still beating you with their own game. They're not the ones that are going to have that costly fumble where they need to have the ball bounce back into their hands. Brady's not going to fumble the football. We need that from Marcus Mariota. The Titans need to play clean tomorrow, and then they're definitely going to have to play clean against the Indianapolis Colts. But business is still to be handled. What say you, folks? How is this game won tomorrow against the Redskins? Are you worried about it, or do you feel relatively confident about where the Tennessee Titans stand at this point in the game? Tweet me, at jmartzone. Let me know. Call me, 615-737-1045, 737-1045. Still to come, a really sad story from the NFL and we have to play some Annie Lennox today because of something I read about college football. Stick around. This is the Big Six on 1045. Welcome back in. This is the one and only Big Six here on 1045 The Zone. Thanks for making me part of your night. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. You're going to hear a lot of me next week. Monday morning, I'll be in with Brad Willis. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to host the Wake Up Zone, give the guys the day off. And then what I've been doing all week long, basically, is putting together a two-hour Christmas show that we're going to run a good bit on Christmas Eve and a lot of Christmas Day as well. We had a tremendous amount of fun putting this together. We did this differently than it's ever been done before. You're going to hear these hosts and these people that you know so well do things that you've never heard them do before. And I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. And it's got a lot of pop culture influence as well, which, you know, me being put in charge of it certainly helped out. So that's something to look forward to. Also going to be in on Outkick the Coverage next week for a couple of days. So you'll hear me in that first hour before the wake-up zone. I'm hosting 3HL a couple of days next week with a couple of them out with Dawn doing the Music City Bowl. And I believe Brent's out one day as well. So you're going to hear plenty of me, and I'm blessed to – Continue to get asked to do those things. Seems like no one has smartened up. But we roll along here with the Big Six Titans Redskins tomorrow. I talked to Mark Mariani a little bit earlier on this afternoon during one of the breaks during 3HL. He says he's a little worried about the Redskins only because he doesn't think 
Derrick Henry's going to be able to run the ball, and he thinks Mariota's actually going to have to make plays, as are his receivers. And that's kind of what I said in the first segment. Mariota has not had to do anything in the last two games. Since Houston, he's had precisely one quarter of note, and that was the fourth quarter against the Jets where he first overthrew Taewon Taylor, but then kind of got things under control and led that drive, the Corey Davis touchdown that won the game 26-22. to I do think the defense is going to play well again. I don't think the Redskins are going to offer that much. You're going to have to watch Peterson a little bit, but there's not a tremendous amount of talent when you look at the receiving position, and it's Josh Johnson. With all due respect to him, and I know usually when you say with all due respect, you're about to disrespect somebody. I mean, he's Josh Johnson. We're not talking about Pat Mahomes. We're not talking about Drew Brees. We're not talking about Phillip Rivers or Russell Wilson or any of the the guys that you would fear at the quarterback spot. But and I'm going to talk about other things surrounding the NFL in the next segment. Unfortunately, we have to talk about Josh Gordon, and I have some things that, that I want you to hear about that situation. But let's look at the playoff picture right now, not necessarily as it stands with the Titans. You kind of know how this works. They win both their games. Baltimore or Pittsburgh loses their in. They lose to the Colts next week. It's not going to matter. If they lose to the Redskins tomorrow, it's not going to matter either, meaning they're not going to get in unless they get a tremendous amount of help. I think Baltimore could easily lose to the Chargers tomorrow, even if they don't have Keenan Allen. And Pittsburgh playing against the Saints. The Saints haven't looked good in a month, but they're due. Pittsburgh, we'll see. But if you look at the rest of the landscape, the Patriots lose Josh Gordon. They've already lost five games this year. They're going to win their last two. They're not going to lose uh, to the Jets or the Bills in their final two games. So they're probably going to be 11-5. and five. The Texans have played against an incredibly weak level of quarterback competition this year. And I've mentioned that about the Titans as well, as how they've kind of dodged a lot of the best quarterbacks in the league. At the time, I mentioned Jared Goff in that list, and maybe now you'd want to take him out of there. But you haven't played against the Seahawks. You certainly didn't play against Cam Newton when he was firing on all cylinders. You did play against Brady, but this is not a great Brady year. You played against Carson Wentz, and he played pretty well against you. You did not play against Breeze. You did not play against Pat Mahomes. You did play against Rivers without Melvin Gordon overseas, and he completed several chunk plays against your defense. The Titans should be in position to make the playoffs. They've got four of their last six at home, just looking at it from that perspective. But one thing that we're starting to see right now is that these offenses, these four teams that we thought were the cream of the NFL crop, the Rams and the Chiefs, and you go back to that Monday night game where it looked like there was a new rubric for how this game was going to be played going forward at the highest level. You had those two teams, and then, of course, you had the Saints and the Patriots. Patriots are losing games. The Saints are barely escaping games with Drew Brees barely throwing for 200 yards. All of a sudden, the running game is not what it once was. Kareem Hunt's taken out of Kansas City. Pat Mahomes is still playing great football but he only had two touchdown passes in a loss against the Chargers on Thursday night football a little bit over a week ago. None of these teams. And then the Rams, you've got what's wrong with Jared Goff? Is Cooper Cup that important? They've stacked the box and they're stopping Todd Gurley. And all of a sudden, Sean McVay's play-action game and his pre-snap motion game isn't working. They're now only using play-action 29% of the time. They were over 40 when they were on a roll earlier this season, have they been figured out? Or all of a sudden, is Jared Goff just looking like the product of a system? There are a lot of questions out there. Does defense still win championships? There's an argument that can be made. Do you trust the Chicago Bears when you get to the playoffs? 
It's Mitch Trubisky. He can make plays. He can make plays with his feet as well. I like Tariq Cohen a lot. Jordan Howard is a guy that can't barely even get on the field now because of how athletic Tariq Cohen is. Allen Robinson is one heck of a wide receiver. Mitch Trubisky, though, you're putting him in the playoffs, but you're putting him out there with Khalil Mack in this just absurd defense that is shutting everybody down. Baltimore has Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is in rarefied air when it comes to what he's done on the ground as a quarterback early in his career. I'm talking about like Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham air if you're starting to break down stats. But they're led by the defense. The reason why I think the Chargers might be the best team in the NFL right now is because they have a defense to go along with what Phillip Rivers is doing on offense. Joey Bosa, back healthy. Derwin James, vastly underrated and should have been taken in the top 10, is probably going to be an all-pro for a decade. The Chargers are going to be heard from, despite the fact that even if they were to get home field advantage, they're going to be playing in front of hostile crowds every single week. It's wide open. I don't think we realized a month ago how wide open it is, not just in the AFC, but also in the NFC. There are a lot of teams that can show up and win this thing. It's going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. Unfortunately, what we have to talk about next is not fun at all. The saga of Josh Gordon continues. I will discuss it with you next. This is the Big Six rolling along here on 104.5 The Zone. Um. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. This is a story I wish that we did not have to talk about, but we do. And we need to approach it from the right place. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. There is an argument out there about whether or not the National Football League should be conducting drug tests for certain substances, recreational ones in nature. Honestly, I don't care about that debate. I'm vehemently anti-drug, as are most of you, but I can see both sides of the issue. I don't, I don't really want to talk about that. It is undercutting why this debate is back out there again, which is the possible end of Josh Gordon's NFL career as he left the New England Patriots, citing mental health reasons yesterday. He was about to be suspended indefinitely for violating the terms of his reinstatement for substance abuse problems. Josh Gordon, one of the true talents at his position, some, some have said other than Randy Moss, no one had the pure skills of Josh Gordon. He was outstanding for the Patriots and for Bill Belichick since joining the team early in the season. 68 catches, 720 yards, and three touchdowns. 278 yards after catch. He gave the Pats something that they did not have. He is a star in every sense of the word when you look at him from an athletic standpoint. But Josh Gordon, unfortunately, had a fatal flaw and still has a fatal flaw. Josh Gordon has major drug problems. This is a 27-year-old, folks. He grew up with a tough life that saw him fall into dope at a young age abusing alcohol, abusing codeine syrup, smoking pot much of his life, including in high school. When he had the opportunity, harder drugs became part of his life, and the weed was still around as well. Josh Gordon is a hardcore drug addict. And how we know this is because Josh Gordon was fully aware of how thin the ice was underneath him. And he still couldn't stay clean. 
as hard as he tried. I'm not going to sit here behind this microphone today and call him a failure. Because although he brought his problems on himself in large part, every indication is that he did give every ounce of effort he could to try and change his life. Just last October, he sat down with LeBron James's uninterrupted for a pretty candid segment. I want you to hear just a small piece of this so that you can hear Josh Gordon and how candid he was about the thing that has basically controlled his life and how it spiraled out of control. He is the first player in NFL history with back-to-back 200-yard games. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've used alcohol many, many occasions. Xanax, many occasions. Cocaine, several occasions. Marijuana, most of my life. Codeine, culture, promethazine. Very prevalent for where I'm from. You know, it's what I grew up using. I've been enabled most of my life, honestly. I mean, I've been enabled by coaches, teachers, professors, you know, everybody pretty much gave me a second chance kind of just because of my ability. So not too long after I got arrested for possession of marijuana at Baylor, one of my coaches, he came by saying, you're going to get drug tested by the compliance office. This is how it's going to work. This is what they're going to do. If they do call you in, here goes these bottles of detox. He um, showed me how to drink them, showed me how to take them. And that was my thing, my real first experience with like getting over on the system and that authority not really being taken serious because it was kind of being guided by somebody that's employed by the same, you know, university. I'm out of detox drinks. Where's coach with my drinks? Not enough time. Got to take a drug test, fail the drug test. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Gordon's a guy that was so good at football, he held people's careers and futures in his hand. He had back-to-back 200-yard games receiving in the NFL in Cleveland as a rookie. A total stud. No one, by the way, had back-to-back 200-yard receiving games in the NFL. Ever. And as such, being the stud that he was, rather than help him, he was introduced to detox bottles. Not to help his life, but to make sure he wouldn't flunk any tests. Josh Gordon was so troubled that at one point, Baylor University, not exactly a football hotbed historically, told him to leave their school and go somewhere else. A guy with that kind of talent. And Baylor said, go. This guy could not stop. And there was no one around him that seemed driven to assist him in cleaning up his life. Because most of the people around him needed him clean at the right times. Didn't really care if he was clean all the time. I am saddened by the Josh Gordon story. At the very least, he is again openly admitting to mental health concerns and to depression that has accompanied this drug use. Now, if you want to spend your time decrying various drug laws in the country, you can go right ahead. I'm generally of the belief that if what you're doing is personal to you and puts no one else at risk, bureaucracies shouldn't stop you. But when you see a story like this, before looking at the issue, think about the 27-year-old broken human being that had it all but could not get out of his own way and could not stop the drugs. 
Josh Gordon may well have had his last chance in the NFL this time. Who, who's going to take a chance again? He couldn't avoid the demons. Later in the uninterrupted interview, I pulled a few quotes that I, I think you need to hear. I found myself around the city of Gainesville just wandering, looking for a drug dealer, looking for people on the street corner, whatever. Smelled like weed, somebody that looked like they had something. Asking random people, knocking on like smoke shop storefronts, seeing where I could find some stuff. I was just looking for something, some type of relief. I was walking down the boulevard at 11.30 at night, and that night in particular, I couldn't find anybody with drugs, and I just began to have a flashback and remembered all the negative things that have happened in my life that transpired. Like, what led up to this point? How did it get this bad? Like, it's so dark out here. I'm all alone. What the hell am I doing? I was scared. I was scared for my life. And then just something clicked in my head at that point. It's like, man, you did it again. You're willing to throw away everything you ever worked hard for. Everything you ever had out of life. It was so strange, but I just had a desire to stop. I had the desire to get help, invest myself 100% into whatever was going to help save my life. I need to live out my amends, try to make right for all my past transgressions and mistakes, and show and prove that I can be a better person, a better man, somebody that is accountable, reliable, because I know what's on the other side of that. If given the opportunity... I believe I can prove my worth. Unquote. That is from the uninterrupted interview with Josh Gordon. So you heard it. Like he went back into rehab again last June or this past June and, and he he it was time to fix his life. It was last June. It was twenty seventeen. And he talked about the the really hard one is, man, you did it again. You're willing to throw away everything. It was so strange, but I just had a desire to stop. I had the desire to get help. I pray that Josh Gordon gets the help that he's looking for this time. I believe that he had a desire then. Sometimes desire isn't enough. I pray that he gets help, maybe from a source above, and he's able to break this. I don't know that he has an NFL career. My guess is he doesn't. My guess is it's over. But Josh Gordon is 27 years old. And what I don't want to read in the future is that Josh Gordon was 28 years old. Or Josh Gordon was 29 years old or 30 years old. Meaning I don't want to read that he passed away because of these drug problems or what they caused in him. He has mental issues from the drugs. He has depression issues. And I'm sure he feels like a failure. Before we talk about legalizing drugs or decriminalizing this or decriminalizing that or whether or not the NFL needs to get involved in these kinds of tests or not, let's just remember Josh Gordon. Let's not try to fix the problem and lose sight of the individuals involved. It's not always about scoring points or sounding smart. Sometimes it's just about one kid that had it all 
and continues to throw it away despite his desire. I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. I'm hoping for a real redemption story for Josh Gordon. And it does make you think about the many people in this world that we've never met before who can't run like the wind and can't catch a football at a high level and couldn't get into college but are nonetheless hooked on drugs and it's stealing their life away. I pray for all of them. This Josh Gordon story is heartbreaking. Hopefully, it is a lesson to the young people in this country, as well as maybe even those that have already started down the wrong path. Josh Gordon's a cautionary tale. At least he's trying to live up to it and just say, look, I've got to get away from football. I've got to go worry about myself. I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5. This is- segment of the week here on the Big Six, 104.5 Zones. Remember, Titans, Redskins tomorrow, 1.30. Lee Company countdown to kickoff, followed by Titans radio coverage of Tennessee and Washington. A must-win game. Titans need a five-game win streak to end the season in order to really have a shot at the playoffs, and they have a really good shot if they can do that. They've won three of the five, but business is still left to be handled. All right, you know what? Usually I have something clever before we just fire into the music, but Ryan, just go ahead and hit Annie Lennox for me right now. Now, the Big Six asks, why is this a thing? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can file this one under the You've Got to Be Kidding Me department. Because if there's one thing we should all be able to unite behind in a world where even seasonal pumpkin spice flavoring creates arguments, one thing, though, that we can argue or can't argue is that Urban Meyer had a tough 2018. And in respect to his public reputation, it took a hit that really can't be taken back, particularly the perception of his morality in respect to football versus integrity. So... Imagine my surprise when I looked to the sports news yesterday and notice Urban Meyer's name. Now, okay, that's interesting. Was it about the Rose Bowl matchup coming up with Washington? Maybe it's Urban Meyer's thoughts on his final game before stepping aside and letting Ryan Day take the helm. Maybe it's just like a retrospective on his career or something else that's shaken out in the Zach Smith, Courtney Smith situation at Ohio State. Probably just one of those stories that pops up around this time of year to fill space, and it's just mundane content we've already heard for the most part. Nope. This time I read the following from Adam Rittenberg at ESPN. Urban Meyer's first role after retiring from coaching will take him to an Ohio State business school classroom. Okay, he's going to go back and get a degree, I guess. Meyer who will retire as Ohio State's coach after leading the Buckeyes against Washington in the Rose Bowl on January 1st, will co-teach a course titled Leadership and Character in Ohio State's Fisher College of Business. Meyer will teach alongside Lieutenant Colonel Charles Buchanan, 
a senior lecturer at the business school who also spent 15 years in the U.S. military serving tours in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Kosovo. I don't know about you, but when I think of leadership and character, no one's name readily springs to mind before Frank Urban Meyer. If you remember this summer, I read from the publisher's promotional website surrounding his book, Above the Line, which released in October of 2015. In case you missed that, let me refresh your memory here and bring this up. In only 13 years as a head football coach, first at Bowling Green and then at Utah, Florida, and Ohio State, Urban Meyer has established himself as one of the elite coaches in the annals of his sport with three national championships and a cumulative record of 142 and 26. But your statistics are not the measure of its true accomplishment, nor do they speak to his extraordinary learning journey. Now, and above the line, he offers to readers <clears throat> his unparalleled insights into leadership, team building, and the keys to empowering people to achieve things they might never have thought possible. Despite winning two national championships at Florida in only six seasons, Meyer stepped back from the game at the end of 2010 amid health concerns and a growing awareness that <clears throat> his almost maniacal pursuit of perfection was distorting his priorities, distancing him from his family and taking him away from the reasons he wanted to coach in the first place. Above the line, Urban Meyer shares with readers OSU's groundbreaking game plan, the game plan he followed every day during the historic 2014 season <clears throat> for creating a culture of success that engages and inspires the people around them. A student of psychology long before he was a coach, Meyer believes that <clears throat> trust is the bedrock of great achievements and healthy relationships and explains how to build it step-by-step, step, whether in a team, a family, or a Fortune 500 company. With trust in place, a deep bond unites us in common purpose and cultivates what he calls above-the-line behavior a learned, empowered response to the challenges we face every day. Whew. A few highlights. Leadership, team building, and the keys to empowering people to achieve things they might never have thought possible. Like keeping your job and being brought along to Ohio State after physically placing hands on your young wife in Florida. No doubt, that's something many wouldn't think. Uh, that's probably not something that could have happened. Way to go, Herb. How about the line about him leaving the Gators because of his almost maniacal pursuit of perfection that distorted his priorities? Good thing he learned from those mistakes and didn't let his desire to win football games overrule his sense of judgment. He, quote, created a culture of success that engaged and inspired those around him. Okay, he's a great football coach. And then moves on to speak to Meyer, believing, quote, trust is the bedrock of great achievements. Trust. Interesting coming from someone who three years after this book released had to issue clarifications of clarifications of clarifications when each preceding message didn't work. And yes, he, quote, takes control, and I didn't read this part, talks about his customary candor and humility. Yes, Urban Meyer's very humble man. Practical and profound insights, applicable beyond the field, real-life examples offering wisdom and inspiration for taking control and turning setbacks into victories. 
Urban Meyer won a lot of football games. Victories on the field, yes. Victories off it, it does not appear so as of late. Who better, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, who better to speak to young, impressionable business minds than a guy that continues to try and play off a sanctimonious image he created long ago and has routinely found ways to betray. Now, he deserves forgiveness and he deserves a chance to move on with his life. We all make mistakes, big and small. We're all saved by grace. We're all flawed. But the idea that Urban Meyer would co-teach a class at the same university he helped to semi-disgrace just a few months ago, a class entitled Leadership and Character. That is a bridge too far. That's insanity. Ohio State continues to get this wrong over and over and over again. From the independent committee that almost all had direct ties to the university, to the press conferences before and after, to the misdeeds across the athletic department and from the athletic director, all of this has been a joke. It's all a complete mess. But at the very least, it was just on the athletic side and it didn't spill over into the classroom. Well, at least it hadn't spilled over into the academic side of things until now. So I ask you, Urban Meyer, co-teacher of leadership and character at the Ohio State Fisher College of Business, how on earth is this possibly a thing? And why is this a thing? All right, before we get out of here for the week, let's make you smarter. Folks, this one might make you do a double take. Since 1970, I've got in front of me a list of the quarterbacks with the most passing yards in their first six career games. Cam Newton, number one, 1847. Mark Bulger with the Rams, 1815. Pat Mahomes, 1797. Andrew Luck is fifth at 1674. Wait, you skipped number four. Yeah, I did that intentionally. I saved it for last. I figured you thought this stat was because I because of Mahomes. It's not. Believe it or not, Nick Mullins of the San Francisco 49ers this season is fourth since 1970 in his first six games. 1,754 passing yards. He's just 43 shy of Mahomes, less than 100 shy of Cam to top the list. Nick Mullins. Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing, folks. Fox Sports Radio is up next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.